Welcome. You are listening to Mountain View Scattered. This is an audio companion to our weekly church gatherings. It is a way to stay connected while you are away and to learn more about our community, how we can best reach and serve it. I'm your host, Wade. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And that is where we jump off this morning. Just to give you an idea of where we have been, though, last week, here was our big idea. Uh, Really trying to encompass the first two commandments. In Jesus, you have been freed from worshiping other gods. And he, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Now, when we're looking at these Ten Commandments, there's a couple of things that we need to be reminded. None of these things are good news. We talked about them last week. It can sound like good news because, oh, here's a task that I can pick up and I can use. It's a tool that I can use. And yet, inevitably, we're always falling short of what these commandments are demanding of us. We're always falling short of what God's Word is demanding of us. And so these these commandments, these laws, these words are not good news. And yet, usually when we're reading these ten words, these ten commandments, we're, we're reading the negative side of it. You shall not, you shall not, you shall not. And we so often forget that there's actually a positive side to these things as well. Just as an example, if you do have a bulletin, it's on there, but commandment number one, no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. Well, the good news is, right before that, what does God say? I am the Lord your God. I rescued you. I picked you. I took you out of Egypt, and you are mine. So the positive side of that commandment is the fact that God makes us his. Or the second commandment, do not make idols for your worship. And now, I guess here is the positive side of that is a good news portion, and that is that Jesus is the image of the invisible God for you. But it also means that we don't have to craft a golden cow or a little wooden zebra or whatever the case may be and keep it on the mantle or keep it in front of us all the time and be at that thing to worship God. These things are not what God looks like. These things do not describe who God is or what He does. These things so easily become other gods that we're pouring all of our praise into. And as we look at commandment number three today, we're going to see that we should not be using God's name in vain or loosely. Don't use it lightly. And yet the positive side of that is we are to use the Lord's name. In fact, we are to call upon his name often, right? Okay, so in the first two commandments, we're really talking about our hearts. And and, and we're talking about, well, we'll get there, we'll get there. Here's our theme overall for the Ten Commandments. God called us to himself, to our neighbor, and he shows us our need. our Redeemer. 
in the Ten Commandments. And our big idea for today, in Jesus, you do not need to uselessly speak God's name. In Jesus, you do not uselessly need to speak God's name. In the first two commandments, we see how our hearts too easily run from God. We see how our hearts turn away from Him and our worship gets directed at something other than what God wants our worship to be directed at. But this week, we're going to see how our hearts overflow from our mouths and how our lips betray us. One of the best New Testament examples of this is Jesus, and uh, we'll use Matthew's Gospel. In uh, Matthew chapter 12, we see Jesus and the Pharisees, they're all whispering about him. And they're all saying, this has to be the power of Satan that's at work in him. These miracles, these healings, this man is powered by demons. <laughs> and Jesus goes on to talk about... Um, about how one sin that you should not commit, right, is, is blaspheming the Holy Spirit, which is the one sin that these Pharisees are committing here. They're actually speaking against God. They're saying God is Satan. They're saying that God is not holy. They're saying that God is anything but what he claims to be. But in Matthew chapter 12, verse 33, we read this. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, speaking to the Pharisees, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. It's a pretty tall order from Jesus, isn't it? Here we are, we're, we're trying to get to this good news. We're trying to find an example of where Jesus is releasing us from this law of, of speaking poorly of God. And he ups the ante. He says, your words are going to justify you, or they're not. They're going to condemn you. But here specifically, we see what Jesus has to say about about the overflow of your heart coming from your lips. Last week when we were talking about the heart, we read from Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Of life. And so we're moving on from the heart to what's coming out of the heart, what's truly in us and what's coming from our mouths. And this week, in order to do this, we're going to frame this commandment by looking at three specific sins, both 
what we see in Scripture historically from God's first people and in the New Testament, but then what we can see in our own lives as well. And the first of these, very generally speaking, is just speaking wrongly about God. We would call this blasphemy, okay? (laughs) Speaking wrongly about God or using his name wrongly. Now, I don't know about you, but um, oftentimes, I'm going to use Finnegan since he's not in the room. Finnegan has a great memory, my oldest son. And because he has such a great memory, sometimes I say things. And I know exactly what I said, but sometimes I'm really hoping that no one else remembers what I've said. Okay, And yet Finnegan will quote me. And it's painful because my older brother used to do this all the time so painful. And he still does it. He's got a memory uh, that's sharp as a scalpel, and he always says, and I quote, that's my brother's favorite line. He always goes back to quote you by things that you've said in the past, and Finnegan is well on his way to becoming this person in my life now. Um, But the dangerous thing about this is, actually, when someone misquotes you then, right? Because we do this. I mean, And we see it in the news, we see it in politics, we see it from our children, see it from our brothers and sisters, we do it to other people where we misquote people. Um, One of my favorite running gags is just to attribute anything that you want to, to a famous person, right? So a popular thing in the United States is you just attribute it to Abraham Lincoln, who was one of our presidents, okay? You make up a quote, you say, yeah, I think Abraham Lincoln said that, because he says everything, all right? And, and yet, this is what happens. When we're attaching someone's name to something and their words to something, we're using their name wrongly. And this is what I fear. This is what I fear when Finnegan says, well, Dad, you said, and he misquotes me, and then all of a sudden, my name is attached to something that I do not want it to be attached to, Right? Which is why I was even telling Eric this past week, over the last two weeks, um, I've been a bit tired, okay? I've been a little bit tired. No excuse, except for to say, I've been pulling my punches while I'm preaching. And I've been holding back. And I've been holding back because in the moment, I'm thinking to myself, I don't know if I should say that. I don't want to be quoted on that. I have to do some more reading on that. Eric sent me a message this morning as they're away, and he said, don't pull punches this morning. So I'm going to try not to pull punches. Um, But throughout, for instance, the book of Leviticus, what we really see is another sort of commentary on the Ten Commandments. Now, Leviticus is an expounding of the law. It's an expansion of God's law. But also what we see is historical case after case after case that Moses has to deal with where these different commandments are broken. And there are times when there's certain things that are clearly wrong, okay? They're clearly going to be wrong, and yet it gets attributed to this commandment being broken. So a simple one would be from Leviticus chapter 24. Um, I'm not going to turn over there right now, except for to say that here's the situation. You have a mother and a son, and a son is speaking ill of God. And what happens? The people take it before Moses and he says, he's got to die. <laughs> he's got to die. This is a very serious thing. 
And this is a young man that we're speaking about here, someone that was probably speaking from ignorance, and yet what does Moses say? He's got to die. We're going to stone him. You do not speak ill of God's name. Thankfully, that does not happen today. Well, it does happen in some places and in different religions, right? Um, thankfully, that doesn't happen today because I would have been stoned many times over by now. Or in Leviticus chapter 19, we have this whole story that's being told about oaths. When to make an oath, don't break an oath. That is a covenant, a promise with someone. And in, in, in Leviticus 19, um, the same thing happens. When you're making an oath, you are being a representative of God. Like someone that goes into court and puts their hand on the Bible. Or for you and I as Christians, as we're going to be looking forward now, we carry with us the name of Christ. And this is why Jesus will later on say, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Hence, don't lie. Don't lie. Why? Because you carry my name with you. And John speaks about that very same thing. Or in Leviticus chapter 18, you have this awful picture of God's first people, some of them sacrificing their children to a false god called Molech. And now, murder is clearly a commandment, but what commandment does, does Moses claim is being broken here? Using the name of the Lord in vain. So, because we carry with us God's image as broken as it may be in all of us, this is why we don't kill babies. <laughs> we don't kill babies because we are carrying with us God's name and His image. And when we mar that image and when we break that image further, we're, we're calling God a liar. We're saying, no, we don't carry your name with us. We are not yours. And we want no part of you. And essentially, this is no different than what happened in the garden and before the garden, right? Um, what happened in the garden when, when, when we fell? <laughs> it's such a passive word. When we rebelled from God, what happened? Satan says, did God really say? And what is he doing? He's using God's name to actually confuse Adam and Eve. To, to change their desires. To confirm and affirm in them the bad things that they desire. And he's saying, no, that's what God really wants for you. In a similar way, in the New Testament, you might recall the story of Ananias and Sapphira. This is in Acts chapter 5, and right before this, in Acts chapter 4, what's going on is the whole church is holding everything in common. That is, anyone who has need, the needs are being met. And we see this happen even in some churches today where, let's say a church is building a building, and everyone says, I'm going to give this much of my income every year to build this building or something like this. And then, this is the idea with Ananias and Sapphira. Except for, they say, 
well, yeah, no, we're going to give everything that we make back to the church so that everyone will be taken care of. And then they sell a piece of land and they say, hey, honey, do you think it's okay that I just keep a little bit of this back? Because I don't know if I can actually trust this, this church body. I don't know if I can actually trust our church family. And what happens is they go and they take their gift before the apostles who are waiting and giving it out to the deacons to give it out in collection and so on and so forth. What happens? Boom! They drop dead on the floor. Why? Well, there could be a number of reasons why, but number one reason, they lied. They said, God, we're going to give it all to you except for this little piece. We're going to keep that for ourselves for safekeeping. And so, when we speak wrongly about God, when we blaspheme against him, we are using his name lightly, loosely. We're using it in vain. Or sometimes we just take the meanings off of words. Now, the low-hanging fruit here is if you hear someone that's using God's name in vain. That's what we always say, right? And that's, that's what this commandment gets boiled down to. You're standing around with someone and someone uses Jesus' name or um, uses God something else, right? And now this is not good. Um, this is not the way that people should speak. This is, though most assuredly, not the way Christians should speak. Now, I know a lot of older people who, whenever they hear something, they'll go, oh, Jesus. Now, I'm not going to give them a hard time about that because for many people, they actually are in their little way calling out to Jesus and saying, oof, I'm overwhelmed by this thing. Okay, and I get that. But when we are constantly saying, oh, Jesus, right? This is not a good way to speak. This is using Jesus' name lightly. And if we actually are exhausted, if we are actually exasperated, then actually call out to Christ, who is our sure and steady anchor, who holds us fast, right? Do that for real. If we're going to use his name, use it well. But elsewhere in Scripture, we see... Um, Corners getting cut when it comes to God's name. For instance, in Malachi, really the whole first bit of Malachi, but verses 6 onward in Malachi, one of the things that God's people are being judged for in Malachi is that, is that the priests are starting to cut corners. <laughs> They're starting to cut corners in their sacrifices, in the way that worship is done, and yet they're still saying, Yes, we're doing this all in God's name. Let's move on now. Um, I've been reading a biography of the theologian Martin Luther to the kids right now. And Martin Luther in his life, at some point before he becomes a Christian, he goes to Rome and he's so excited to go to Rome and to see the, the hub of the holy city, the mother church. And he gets there and um, have you ever heard an auctioneer? Right When someone's auctioning something off and they go like, they're, they're, they're just talking as fast as they possibly can. And it's sold, 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 sold. He says this is how the priests were conducting the church services. Because they had to do so many of them during the day, um, they would just go and they talk like this as fast as they could. Amen, okay, gone. And then they leave and they go. And he said that he, he said everyone preached 
as though they had someplace better to be. (laughs) And this is what the priests in Malachi are doing. Although there's other ways that we can strip God's name and words of their meaning. One of these ways is by, um, well, we read about it in 2 Corinthians. I'll turn over there quick. And this is one that might seem much more common to us. 2 Corinthians 2. Starting around verse 17. I'll start in verse 12. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave from them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Now, I love this in Paul's writing because you remember just a couple weeks ago we talked about this theology of the cross versus a theology of glory. And Paul here is so interesting because throughout all of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, he's preaching that theology of the cross. He's talking nothing about Jesus and him crucified for the forgiveness of sins. And yet here, in describing that big idea, he calls it Christ leading us in a triumphal entry. (laughs) Basically, everyone else is wanting to have their triumphal entry now. This is when uh, soldiers go off, a king goes off, and he comes back into the city, and everyone's cheering for him. The triumphal entry of a victorious king. And Paul says, even in the minor things of his mission, going back and finding a friend, preaching the gospel in different places. Christ is leading them in this triumphal entry. Um, And then he echoes something that we've read about earlier. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? And then verse 17, For we are not like so many peddlers of God's Word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, and the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Throughout both of the letters to the Corinthians, this is the group of people that Paul is speaking out against and preaching against are these pastors, these traveling prophets who are going around and collecting cash for what it is that they preach and teach. And throughout the letters to the Corinthians, this this whole concept of using God's Word and His name for your own gain is using His name vainly. It's using His name vainly. Another way that we strip God's name of its meaning, uh, we read about in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is speaking and he says, don't be like the pagans who think that they will be heard by their many words babbling. 
And so many times, I know that we can do this without even thinking about it. Um, When we pray, perhaps we get lost in our prayer, and instead of just remaining silent before the Lord, we just say, and, you know, just God, Lord, we just, you know, we stutter and we stammer. Or maybe even in a more serious way, like the old religion of Adam, that says, if you just call upon God's name enough, then he'll have to listen to you. Like the prophets of Baal, who over and over and over again cry out to Baal and cut themselves and just wait for Baal's fire to come down. And then it never arrives. And all we have to do is call upon his name once. And we're saved. We do not need to use His name vainly to be heard by Him. You simply call out to Jesus. One of the last ways that we can profane or lightly use or loosely use God's name is when we make our actions equal to God's desires for us. I remember I was visiting a church once, and uh, it, was a, it was a good church. Good Bible-preaching church. In fact, I know the pastor. I love the pastor. And um, I've always been warned, uh, pretty much in every aspect of life, but specifically in ministry, you never call yourself the the of anything, Okay? the expert of this, or the preacher of this. Or um, I know that sometimes we have, we don't have any of the books up there right now, but we have some books by a publisher called Nine Marks. And oftentimes people call them the nine marks of a healthy church, to which the guy that started that says, no, 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 we're not the nine marks. There's lots of marks of a healthy church, right? You never want to be the, the of something, Okay, this is usually a bad thing. But I remember visiting this church and they were just getting ready to build a new building and everyone was really excited about it. It was a massive project. And then right up there on the screen and on this huge display of like the 3D model, it said real big, the master's plan. The master's plan. Because there's no better way to get a couple of extra bucks out of someone than to say, this is God's plan for you and your church, right? Too often we attach everything we do to the Master's plan. One of the ways that, um, you know, I oftentimes just laugh it off because I don't know what else to do about it, though. And another time that people use God's name for their own purposes often is when someone will come up to you and say, you know, God told me that you needed to hear this. (laughs) To which I always want to say, God told me that you just took his name in vain and should probably repent of it. Now, granted, there are situations and cases when we're reading God's word and God will lay upon our heart those people that are closest to us, that we have trust with, someone that you can take a critique from, Someone that you can take hearing that, Wade, 
you should probably go back and rethink that. And yet, all too often, and I've experienced this so many times before, I will be in front of a group of people and I will preach and I will teach and I will say something and they will say, truly, you are anointed. And then the next time I preach and teach my little heart out, they say, and walk away. One of the times they're wrong. Or both the times they're wrong. So often we are so consumed with the fact that we're trying to figure out the master's plan for everything or trying to hear what exactly it is that God wants us to tell other people that we so easily forget that his word is right there for each and every one of us. And just as a piece of advice, I probably won't strictly correct you if you were to say, Wade, God told me that you need to hear this this morning. Okay? But I would also encourage you that if you're going to say that to someone, make sure you know what you're talking about. Make sure you have trust built with that person. That there's a mutual affection there. That that person loves you and that they can hear critique from you. There's many other ways that we could talk about uh, breaking this commandment. We could talk about throughout really all of the Old Testament and even in the New, um, although it's summed up good in a proverb, a worthless witness mocks at justice and the mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. You see throughout Scripture this theme of if you're going to testify about something, if you're going to claim to tell the truth about something, actually tell the truth about it. This means in legal settings. This means in your household. This means in friendships and with your neighbor. All of it. And we could go on and on talking about how we represent Christ and how we are to use His name well. In Acts chapter 11, we, we read that it was in Antioch that God's people were first called Christians. But in 1 Peter, we also read this, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. In what name? In the name of Christ. Someone that follows Christ. Christian, for you and for I, because of Jesus, we do not uselessly need to speak God's name. We do not have to babble on and on like the pagans calling upon Christ's name. When we go to God in prayer, we are heard by Him. We do not have to strip God's name of its meaning. We do not need to cut corners in our worship by creating idols for ourselves or trying to figure out a way to make God more approachable because God has made Himself approachable by becoming man, by making Jesus the image of the invisible God and being God for you, being crucified for you and your sins, to take on your sin, to forgive you, to justify you, to make you right with Himself. 
And yet one challenge that we are left with is to speak rightly about who God is. And Christian, the only way that we do that, frankly, is by being here together on a Sunday, by digging into His Word, seeing what it is that God has to say for Himself. And in whatever environment that you are in during the week that you open up the Bible or are reminded of something that we spoke about on a Sunday, this is how we know who God is and how He wants to be known and worshipped and spoke of. Two more passages of Scripture once. One John chapter 1, verses 5-9. to This is the message that we have heard from Him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And we lie about God. (laughs) We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then I'll also read from Colossians chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Christian, You've not only been justified and forgiven and made right, but you have been made one with Christ. You are united to Him. And with that said, we have been united to one another in Christ as well. Let's speak well of God. Let's make sure that we define who He is in each of our minds and not separate His person, and His work from His name. And let us make sure that we all move forward in this life to really what this theme of the Ten Commandments have called us to. To know what God wants from us to Himself, to our neighbors, and to be reminded of the fact that we have a Redeemer in Christ. In Jesus, you do not need to speak uselessly the name of God. Jesus' name is for you, his person, his work for you, and you are his. Thanks for listening, and remember that you were brought into the church by the saving work and person of Jesus. Also, that you are sent out to tell everyone about him. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode of Mountain View Scattered.